My people of Creston, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power in the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands.
Welcome to Worship Creston Church. We're so glad that you were able to join us today. We've been praying for you as we've get, we're gathering for worship in all of our different listening and watching places. Our prayer is that each one of us will have an encounter with our living God. The good news is that our living God is here and he's there wherever you are in all of our different watching and listening places. If this is the very first time that you've joined us for worship, welcome. We're glad you're here. You may find out more about our church by going to the website, crestonchurch.org. Today, we continue to consider the latter portion of the book of Genesis. And these texts provide the accounts of the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We hope that these portions of God's Word will encourage you on your spiritual journey of growing in faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can find the order of worship in our email today. It contains everything that you will need to participate fully in our worship. Now, as we continue our worship, I invite you to stretch out your hands right now as a visible sign of receiving God's greeting right along with everyone else who is listening and watching. My friends, our Lord has greeted us, to, called us to worship, and now he greets us with these words, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people say together, amen. We bless you, Lord, for the privilege of growing in grace and knowledge. Help us to be hungry for your truth and to mature as your dearly loved children. Keep us faithful and save us from false and distorted teaching. By your Spirit, lead us into all truth. In the name of Jesus, the way, the truth, and life. Amen.
You shall have no other gods before me. It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You shall not make for yourself an idol. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is God's footstool. Let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep by keeping it holy. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Honor your father and your mother. For God said, Anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. You shall not murder. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You shall not commit adultery. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You shall not steal. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, theft, these are what make a man unclean. You shall not give false testimony. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. You shall not covet. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Our worship also includes our offering. As we have been just reminded once again of God's grace toward us, our best response is to offer our entire lives back to God. Offering money is just one very special way that we can do that. During these times of being apart, you may give your gift using the postal system, making sure to clearly designate which causes you would like your offerings to be shared with. The deacons are pleased to acknowledge your faithful and regular giving to Creston Church. They also encourage you to consider our special offerings that are listed in the Friday emails. Today's special offering is for Creston Church's youth programs. Our weekly offering is for the other ministries of our church and our denomination, what God has called us to do as a church in this neighborhood and city, and what God has called us to do as a denomination all around the world. May God bless you in your giving. Please remember to check the Friday email. It contains all sorts of information for you about our church family, and the ongoing ministries of Creston Church. Even though we're quite limited in our physical comings and goings, many of you are finding new and unique ways to serve God and our community. May God bless you. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ at Creston Church. 
Um, I'm speaking to you now on behalf of the Creston Church Reopening Task Force, and uh, I would like to encourage anybody who is interested to sign up to be a part of uh, small group gatherings. Um, the idea is that this will be a completely voluntary um, gatherings and that these groups will meet weekly to pray for one another, for fellowship, and to discuss the weekly sermon questions. If this is something that you're interested in being a part of, you can sign up using the Google form that's attached to the weekly email, or you can contact Hope Loinga, Tim Gearlings, or myself, and you can also reach out to any of the three of us with any further questions that you might have. May God continue to strengthen you and to guide you during these challenging times. I'd like to share the prayer concerns that we have received during this past week. Whenever I say, Lord, in your mercy, please respond with, hear our prayer. Drew fell off a ladder last week and he broke bones in both arms. No casts or surgery are needed at this time. Please pray for pain control, healing, and patience. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Jane's sister, Julie, was transferred to hospice care this past week. Please pray for comfort for Julie and her kids, as well as for Jane and her brother. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. If we're willing to pay attention, we can see God at work in so many ways. Be sure to share a God story by sending an email or a video of your special experiences. And now I invite you to join me for the prayers of the people. Let's pray. For all the blessings of this life, we give thanks to you, Creator God, for families, friends, colleagues, neighbors, and strangers who nurture us that the love of God may grow within, that your love, your word, like a seed, may grow to produce in us good fruit. O oh God, may your love be like a seed, taking root and growing strong. We pray for the leaders of various nations and cities, that they may lead with strong hearts and gentle hands and generous spirits, with compassion and mercy, with wisdom and grace. May every human being experience respect and fair treatment in every aspect of life. May our leaders reflect your will, guiding all their actions and decisions. O oh God, may your love be like a seed, taking root and growing strong. We pray for those who serve in harm's way, those who live in dangerous places, those who live in areas of war and strife, 
those who live in fear. Those who worry about employment, bills, and food, and struggle just to find dignity in life. Give us patience day by day during these days of pandemic restrictions. Help us to find special ways to encourage each other during these times of separation. May your grace bring peace and safety to all people, one to another. O oh God, may your love be like a seed, taking root and growing strong. We pray for those who suffer from any illness or disease of mind, body, or spirit. For Drew, restore these and all those we carry in our hearts to fullness of health, health as only you, O oh God, can bring. May your mercy shower each of us with healing, mercy, and love. May your love be like a seed, taking root and growing strong. We pray for those who are very ill and near death. Send forth your comforting love to Julie, to Jane, and the rest of her family. Give solace to those who mourn. Console those who grieve. May your grace surround us like a mantle upon our heads, a shawl upon our shoulders, a hand to hold our hand. O oh God, may your love be like a seed, taking root and growing strong. We pray for Creston Church, for each one of us. Give us a rich awareness of your constant presence in our lives. Encourage us every day to let your beauty be seen in us. When we are discouraged, let us cling to your strength. Help us to hold tightly to the hope that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. O oh God, may your love be like a seed, taking root and growing strong. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Our children and youth continue to use the safe church environment curriculum called Circle of Grace in place of their regular children's worship. There are separate videos for roots and for saplings. <clears throat> the sprouts and seedling ages will be combined in their videos. This is the final week for sprouts, seedlings, and saplings. And then next week, the, curr the curriculum continues just for roots. The first step of Circle of Grace is to watch the video together. The second step is to complete the activity together at home designed for both the parent and the child or youth. You can access both the video and the activity through the Friday and Sunday emails. We hope and pray that this is a helpful and special time for your family to build good foundations for lifelong healthy relationships. We pray for God's blessing upon you. May the Lord be with you and also with you. It is our privilege at this time to turn to God's word, to read it, to listen to it, and to con contemplate his message to our hearts for this day. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis 
chapter 25, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 25. <clears throat> and when you've found it, I'd like ask you to uh, bow your heads with me and join me in prayer. Let's pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Genesis chapter 25, we will begin reading at verse 19. <clears throat> This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick! Let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know that it's been a long time since any of us have been able to go to a movie theater. But watching a brand new film on the big screen comes with its own unique experiences. Comfy seats, popcorn drenched with melted butter, gigantic packages of candy, surround sound, and then of course the enjoyment of the motion picture. We don't dare be late or we'll miss the start of the show. Theaters always begin right on schedule. 
Of course, the movie that we're hoping to see isn't the first thing that we actually see. What we see first are the previews of other movies that are coming soon. These previews are short, little piecemeal movies, maybe just a minute or two. And they give us a quick taste of a few other films, hoping that we'll come back to the theater. Movie previews don't tell the whole story. Sometimes the clips don't even appear in the same order that they appear in the full-length feature. They simply introduce us to the main characters and give just a hint of the story. If a preview is done well, they've hooked you, and soon you'll be right there back at the theater. Our text today is a preview too. One short snippet about some characters who will take center stage for the next 10 chapters of Genesis. The very last sentence reads, So Esau despised his birthright. <clears throat> the footnote in the Net Bible says, To despise means to treat something with, as worthless or with contempt. Esau's willingness to sell his birthright was evidence that he considered it unimportant. What a cliffhanger! There's got to be more to it than that. In his commentary on the book of Genesis, Walter Brueggemann shares his own preview. The narrative about Jacob portrays Israel in its earthiest and most scandalous appearance in Genesis. <clears throat> The narrative is not edifying in any conventional religious or moral sense. This is going to get messy based on this final line about despising a birthright. What's going on here? This man Esau is Abraham's grandson after all. The problems begin even before Esau and his twin brother Jacob are even born. After waiting 20 long years of being able to conceive a child, Rebecca is finally pregnant. But she's so very uncomfortable and miserable and has no idea that there are two infants. The text says the babies jostled each other within her. The Hebrew word suggests a violent struggle that was out of the ordinary to the point of the children crushing one another. Nine months of this violent wrestling inside of her. No wonder she exclaimed, why is this happening to me? The first baby boy to come out is not really what you would call cute. He's hairy all over. So his parents give him a name that means hairy, Esau. The second baby boy to be born shows that he doesn't want to give up on that nine-month wrestling match. He's hanging on to the firstborn's heel. If he could speak, he'd probably st say something like, Hey, get out of my way. I want to get out first. His parents give the second baby a name. That means he grasps the heel. So we have hairy one and grasps the heel. Brand new twin sons of Isaac and Rebecca. Verse 27 and 28 shed light on the outcome of these boys' growing up years. These grown-up men couldn't be more different from each other. Esau loves the great outdoors, and he's an excellent hunter. 
Jacob is much quieter, and he'd rather stay closer to home, taking care of the details of running the family business and all its related affairs. It's not surprising then, although disappointing, that each of their parents showed different loving preferences for their sons. Isaac loves Esau, and Rebekah loves Jacob, all based on their different personalities and interests. This is a perfect setup for conflict. Fighting in the womb, the second baby grabbing the foot of the first baby during the birthing process, less than stellar names, Harry one and grabber, opposite types of vocations, and parents who play favorites. These are the offspring of Abraham, the ones through whom God is supposed to be working out his covenant plan. It seems like there are quite a few opportunities where this plan could go all wrong. It doesn't take long for the undercurrents of their lifelong struggles to come to a head. Esau is hungry and Jacob is cooking. Esau makes his demands and Jacob says, not so fast, buddy. You've got something that I want, so let's make a deal. Esau, as the firstborn, has what is called the birthright. In ancient times, it's known as primogeniture, the state of being the firstborn of the children of the same parents, including an exclusive right of inheritance that belongs to the eldest son. Deuteronomy 21 speaks into this privilege too and directs that the firstborn son be given a double portion, a double inheritance share of all that his father has. That son is the first sign of his father's strength. That birthright is what Jacob wants. He's been trying to switch places with Esau ever since the day they were born. Jacob says, you agree to sell me your birthright first, and then I'll pay you with some of this stew. Well, Esau is starving. What does he want with that old birthright at this moment? His mouth is watering, and he'll give anything in order to have something to eat. Esau swears on the trade, eats his stew, and he leaves. All this to demonstrate that the final sentence of our text is certainly correct. Esau despises his birthright. It's not a happy picture. But then our lives aren't so great either sometimes. We try to get ahead too, which isn't all bad. Sadly, our motivation to get ahead is often at the expense of the pain of others. Think about the various parts of our lives. In our jobs, there are those times when we struggle to emerge on top and to get our own way. At school, we sometimes say and do hurtful things in order to make ourselves seem more superior than someone else. In our neighborhoods, we end up treating others in ways that sometimes makes us think that we are greater, somehow better than our neighbors. When it comes to a holy living, living out God's plan for us, temptations sure do seem to sometimes be very inviting to us. 
We'd much rather follow our own inclinations, even when we know better. We know in our hearts and our minds that God's got a wonderful lifelong and eternal plan for us, but we struggle against it over and over. Based on that final sentence of our text, it appears that these two sons of Isaac and grandsons of Abraham are determined to ignore God's care and leading in their lives. They don't appear to be very mature and loving about how they treat one another. However, there's another parallel track to this text. It's God's track. It's God's role that parallels this struggle to bring these two boys into the world. When Rebecca and Isaac try unsuccessfully for 20 years to conceive a child, Isaac prays. Isaac knows about God's promise to his father Abraham and about the long-time barrenness of his own mother, Sarah. <clears throat> Isaac has learned from his father to pray to this God, just like Abraham's servant had learned. Amazingly, miraculously, after 20 years of childlessness, God opens Rebekah's womb and babies are conceived. This couple is thrilled to watch God at work on his plan. All expectant mothers compare notes about their pregnancies, but no one has ever talked about anything like this wretched fighting and wrestling that goes on nonstop inside of Rebecca. She wonders if life is even worth living with all this pain and exhaustion. But Rebecca knows, too, of this promise that God has made to Abraham. She's been learning, too, how to trust him. So Rebecca, like Isaac, prays. This time, God gives a direct answer to Rebecca. He knows she needs some words of encouragement, something to hang on to in the midst of all this wrestling inside of her. It's not very much to go on, but God does speak once again about nations, this time two nations. Yes, there are babies, but they're going to keep on struggling after they're born. God says there will be descendants for Isaac and Rebekah, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be very easy. Sure enough, God does know what's going to happen. He doesn't share the details of their growing up years with Rebecca, but he does describe to her the struggle that will take place between the nations that develop from their offspring. From the moment of conception, God knows all about the struggling of these boys. In Rebecca's womb, during their birth, their different lifestyles and vocations, the favoritism from their parents, and yes, even this sale of the birthright for the price of some red stew. If this last sentence were the end of the account of Jacob and Esau, it would be reasonable for us to shake our heads at God and wonder what he was thinking when he opened Rebekah's womb for these babies to come into the world. But obviously, 
God knows exactly how his plan is going to play out. Right in the middle of all this messy, sinful, rebellious behavior, God is pulling his plan together. Somehow or other, God's going to work out his plan through Jacob. As Walter Brueggemann writes, God does not explain or justify. God simply announces. God locates this new child in a contentious relation to the other son. God, in the middle of carrying out his big plan to give Abraham many descendants, gives freedom to Jacob and Esau to make some decisions. But every bit of that freedom is within the bounds of God's plan for his people. No matter how big of a mess Jacob, Esau, Isaac, or Rebekah make of their lives and their relationships, they cannot wipe out God's promises and his power to keep them. God often keeps his promises in upside-down ways. As Brueggemann puts it, this story of Jacob and Esau does not accommodate our discrete sensibilities. It is without guile, and without apology. It does not waver from the exasperation of Rebecca. It is not embarrassed by, nor does it bother to explain the blatant preference by the parents. Jacob is a scandal from the beginning. The powerful grace of God is a scandal. It upsets the way we would organize life. The Apostle Paul gets at this in Romans 9 where he writes about God's sovereign choice of his people. Throughout the Old Testament, God has chosen Jacob's offspring, the younger son, to be his people. But with the coming of Jesus Christ, now the people of Esau, the Gentiles, also have a place in this adopted family of God. As God had told Moses long ago, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whoever I have compassion. Brueggemann says there's no way to seek behind this for any explanation. The justification of it all is hidden in the purpose of God. God's purposes can be worked out within the messes of our lives, too. It doesn't matter what kind of struggles we're in the middle of. Work, family, school, neighbors, hidden sinful behavior. God's working out his plan for us, despite our struggle with sin. We don't need to have our act together in order for God to extend his grace to us. It's totally the other way around. God decides, chooses us, and acts first through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he wraps the grace of the saving plan all around us so that no matter what our mess and our struggles might be, we still belong to him. Listen to how Paul describes God's plan in Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right in the middle of all of our struggling, Christ died for us. My friends, take comfort in knowing that God can work through and around any kind of mess that we are in. Our struggles are not so big that he can't accomplish his purpose for us, to give us a hope and a future because of the love of Jesus. If you've not acknowledged that love of God for yourself, perhaps today is a wonderful day to do just that. And if you wonder just how God might like you to respond to his great love for you, follow those godly, obedient examples of the patriarchs. Pray, obey, and trust that no matter what you struggle with, God lovingly holds you forever in his care, all because Jesus overcame every single one of our struggles. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Surprising God, your electing love upends the way we expect things to unfold. We admit we have little clue about the mystery of your choices, and explanations outrun our understanding. Humble us to rest in your good pleasure, the grace from beyond time that guards and guides our lives and the world. Amen.
My friends, we've come to the end of our worship today. It's time to receive God's parting blessing. I invite you to perhaps stand in body or in spirit, to sit up a little straighter in your chair, perhaps to reach out your hands to receive God's parting blessing. May God go before you to lead you. May God go behind you to protect you. May God go beneath you to support you. May God go beside you to befriend you. Do not be afraid. And let the blessing of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be upon you today and settle in all around you. Do not be afraid. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.